Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor. Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host Jeannie Rice along with Dr. Tim Hayes and we welcome you to the show. Today is Thursday, December the 3rd, 2015 and our calling number is 646-200-4169. Press 1 and that puts you in queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. This week we've been talking with Gail, and she is still our guest today, and she is on. But first, let's welcome Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome everybody to another edition of Mind Shifters Radio. We are fortunate to have this technology that records everything that we say, and so you can go back in the archives, and I don't know, we're probably getting up to close to 1,500 hours of radio shows, I would assume, and we've covered everything from soup to nuts. And so if you want to go back through the archives and start listening, if you're finding these shows useful, then there's a great place to, you know, you can download them from the website, go to whyagain.org, and uh, click on the radio show, and it'll take you to the archives. You can download the MP3s, and, you know, load them on your phone or your, you know, your MP3 player and listen away. Listen while you work. Some people tell me they do, and uh, put it into to the brain cells. It's a it's an awesome process to be moving forward in that idea of building brain cells. And so today we're we're back again talking about the uh, AA program and what kind of support it can be and how it correlates with the forgiveness process. And I got a uh, an interesting email uh, from Dave who shared with us the other day and uh, is not able to be here today but he's, he, he comes back and talks about the spiritual experience. And uh, I'll just read what he shared because uh, it touches into some really powerful stuff. And so he says, we've spoken about step one's powerlessness and unmanageability, the obsession of the mind followed by the physical craving or allergy. What triggers the mental obsession, he asks the question, is what we call around the program a spiritual malady, a spiritual, a spirit illness. Not saying we have a sick spirit, but a spirit that is blocked off from the truth, brought about by self-centeredness. And it will run riot at times by the, the time spent trying to fill my wants. So, of course, it's coming right back to the goal. The goal is always behind perceptual insanity, or sanity, whichever it is. And, and, and recognizing that in this context, goals are not the problem. Goals simply determine which data is able to get into perception at any given moment. And so I can have a wonderful goal for something that I you know, dearly want to have, and if I load that wonderful goal into my mind and the part of my mind that it recruits into activity has pain in it, then my perception is going to be off base and I'm going to tend to move into some sort of compulsive behavior in that regard. So it's about filling wants. And then he goes on to talk about blockage of truth. As Gail read in the spiritual experience appendix two of the big book, most get a spiritual experience the education way rather than the full-blown white light experience as written at the beginning of the big book. 
spiritual experiences quickly happens quickly where spiritual awakening is slower. One definition of a, sp- a spiritual experience is shown on page 27, and he speak quotes uh, Roland Hazard had just seen Carl Jung uh, in Switzerland and was told by Carl Jung that he'd never seen anyone as bad off as Roland, and had never seen anyone get well who, pardon me, was as bad off as Roland was. He said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt, and boy, what a a load for Carl Jung to lay on you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had been closed on him with a clang. He said, is there no exception? And Carl Jung replied to him, yes, there is one exception. Exceptions to cases of yours have have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what are called a vital spiritual experience. To these, to me, these occurrences are phenomenon. They appear to be in the nature of, and he describes what happens, huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you, he tells Roland. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. And then what uh, Dave offers in, in taking that whole piece that Carl Jung puts out is what he found in this work and why is this happening to me again work and how it worked for him. So he says, to me, this is what happens when I work the wake up or the forgiveness uh, reality management sheet. The changes appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of my life. And they're suddenly cast to one side, and a new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate. So he's offering that the tool that he's found create these kinds of huge emotional displacements is that wake-up sheet, is the reality management forgiveness process. And if you haven't accessed that, and you'd like to use it, and it's a, it is a consistent, if it is used consistently and persistently, as soon as night follows. You're, you're muffled. There you go. You're better. Okay. Is that better? Okay. Excuse me. Yes. So, as sure as night follows day, the consistent, Michael? persistent use. Yes, sir. Michael, so we got all muffled as soon as you began to say, if you haven't accessed, so then. Okay. I'll go back to l- it. Then. L- Thank let, you. let us know how to access the forgiveness process. Okay. Great. Thank you, Sam. So, to access the reality management wake-up sheet, if you go to www.whyagain.org and you scroll down the page a little bit, you'll see a bullseye in the middle of the page and a series of links will open. If you start following those links, it'll walk you through the whole process. And you don't have to invest a dime. Invest your time and you'll have that experience. Absolutely, totally, completely guaranteed. If you work with sincerity, those the uh, wake up sheet and it's designed to wake us up from the content of the generational carbon-based memory and bring about a shift in how that thing works that's what first century aramaic forgiveness does so we invite you to go there and uh, and put it to work and you'll see that rearrangement happen not necessarily overnight and, you know, I've had people who simply found my book. I remember one guy contacted me and said, you know, I was at a garage sale and your book was for sale for a quarter and I bought it and it's changed my life. He'd never heard of the work. He never had, he took that worksheet. He started to work with it and those rearrangements took place for him. We had a call from a, a woman in Tehran, Iran, a couple of years ago. And uh, although she speaks Farsi, as her main language, she speaks English as well, or some English, and uh, she started doing worksheets, the English version, and she got such powerful emotional rearrangements 
that she then asked if she could translate the book because there was nothing like that in the uh, in the Middle East in that arena. And so we now have on our website the book in Farsi, which is the primary language in in Iran. And so, you know, uh, the more places we can sow these seeds, the more the shifts are going to take place. And and the beauty of it is that everybody in a particular mindset doesn't have to make a shift. A few people who can share their hope and their experience, and I, I love that, the way that I don't have it down pat, but the way the AA group uh, speaks of that the, the power is in sharing one's what are, what are the words, Gail? You probably have them right off the top of your head because you've used them a couple of times. They're hope, inspiration, experience. Experience, strength, and hope. Experience, strength, and hope, yes. Yeah, it's powerful. And uh, it only takes a few people to bring about a spiritual renaissance. Now, it's about three years ago that... Uh, uh, this woman contacted us. Maybe it's even four years ago now. And, you know, things were pretty hopeless between the U.S. and Iran. And it's looking like some changes are taking place. Who knows? I don't know. But I'd be willing to bet that a few people that this woman inspired is starting to make a shift in that part of the world. And the idea of passing on the principles. And, and here we're talking about principles. It's not owned by this work or that work or the next work or the 12 step. Fortunately, there are more and more people coming forward who are working out of principle and bringing forward an understanding of how to create. And I, I love how Carl Jung says that. Let me go back to it here. That um, huge emotional displacements and rearrangements ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once guiding the forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. Very powerful when one can access tools with which to do that. And we are certainly here to offer the tools that we've come to understand and develop out of the first century Aramaic and make them available to anyone who chooses to work with them and anyone whose work it is to work with them, to take them and use them and pass them on. Uh, the, the target audience is about 7.5 billion people on the planet, so there's lots of room for anybody who wants to jump on board and support the process. And so, Gail, how do you be today, young lady? I am very well today. Oh, good. I'm getting lots of uh, texts and information of how people are enjoying the input and the depth. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll pass David's contact information on to you. He's, uh, he's not able to be on the show today, but he asked for contact information, and he'd like to communicate with you because he's, uh, he's really committed to his program and is getting some, some powerful insights from your sharing. So that's cool. And I'm getting powerful insights from his sharing, too, and I very much appreciate the piece that you just shared, um, that he shared with you, that I appreciate having, you know, I throw stuff out there and then he's beautifully and you are beautifully filling in the blanks for me, you know, um, and so that's, cool. that, that is great. I'm appreciating this, this conversation that we're having and I'm also, I'm learning as much as I'm presenting and um, I'm appreciating that. It's filling in blanks. It's giving me pieces that I need as well. Cool. Is it, is it nice to have this mutual admiration society going? How cool is that? It anyway, is. Jeannie it is very me, cool. <laughs> it is. And then and instead Jeannie of fighting, that, you know, go ahead. No, go for it. Uh, when Dr. Tim mentioned it a couple of days ago, he said he was enjoying the conversation as well because everybody was in agreement and, and helping each other out instead of fighting over who's right. And, it, it, yes, it is very refreshing. I think the the difference there is the non-being mind always wants to be right. The mind of being always wants to go for what's right. Therein is the difference. There's, there's the leap that comes from the uh, addicted mind, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever it is, food, 
there's a difference to me between the addicted mind and what in the ancient teachings was called the mind of Christ, the higher mind, the mind of love that we all started out with, that one of them wants to always pursue what's right. One of them always wants to be right. And the reason, I think, at the root of needing to be right is that there was a power person dynamic that if, you know, this child, as they started to grow, didn't do things just on cue for the power person, then the frustration, rage, and trauma that was unleashed on the child was more than the child could stand. And so the need to be right develops at such a deep emotional level that it becomes an all-consuming pursuit. And, of course, who do we know that can be right all the time? And so that pursuit becomes such a traumatic experience, uh, layer by layer by layer, that And there is to me where that massive shift takes place when I forgive, when I forgive, when I forgive. And Yeshua says, and and, you know, we could sort of paraphrase in in concert with Jung here. If you want that massive shift, you're going to do 77 times 70 worksheets around any given issue. And Jeannie tells me that uh, Dr. Andraki is with us, and I know that uh, his time is usually limited about this time of day. So let's say hello to Dr. Andraki, and then we'll come back, Gail. Absolutely. Good, sir. Good How do you be? Welcome. This is a wonderful week. Actually, it's uh, the passing of what I had imagined in the past, which is a effort to deal with addictions so that possibly this week can be put onto a special bullet onto your start here for people who want to start looking at their alcohol, um, drug, uh, rage addictions, and to spend these five days uh, reviewing this information because it's, uh, it's it's fabulous bringing these things together. I think we have to look at both these aspects. I've been, uh, Claudia and I have been, uh, of course, uh, running a support group for uh, going on five years now, and we have limited time. We have to rely on to uh, some other organization to help support these people, and the best way we have right now is AA or NA. So uh, we we count on them to support us, and we want to work together. Uh, the, awesome. other practical aspect, the practical aspect of this is, and Gail, uh, you can address this after I'm done. My understanding is to uh, go to NA, you don't have to be spiritually minded. The only desire to go to NA is to stop drinking. I think that, Michael, that the only reason that people want to improve or to start doing forgiveness work is that they want to feel better. They want to understand that they are the root of their problems. And so uh, I'm sure that Gail has seen uh, lots of people coming in and out of AA, and I think that that's uh, totally acceptable. I think that you've seen lots of people come in and out of the program. And uh, I've I've also seen people come only once or twice and you addressed this already when you talked about uh, the woman in Iran, that the best that we can do is to, is to be the example and to offer something to somebody, to start a support group, even though we don't have the answers, even though I don't understand the first step. We always have these answers available to us. I understand it better, thanks to you and to Gail and to the discussion that's taken place, that we have to start by doing something and to uh, and to showing, by example, and to saying the right words in the situation. And I've learned this through uh, the, the three forgiveness work. And I think that everybody listening and everybody who's starting this has to understand there is something better. There is another way to do this. They are the root of their problem. So just coming to an AA meeting and saying, I have a problem, is fabulous. It's the small percentage that even admits is a problem. Anybody who comes to a support group or listens to the radio show says it's fabulous because at least they take the interest in saying there is another way to do things and they can change their, uh, their, their thoughts, they can change the output of their thoughts. And I think it's just wonderful that we allow people to say, you don't have to uh, spend the rest of your life doing this. This is available for you. Take the opportunity to understand that we have ways to support you into, uh, into your own created dynamics so that uh, you can start to feel better. And that's what we do. I know that that's what you do, and we see this all the time with the people coming in. We welcome uh, We welcome them. I know you welcome them. I know that AA welcomes them. And if they want to change, that it's available, but they have to do the work. 
always takes a community. I have not observed anybody who's been able to make this transition on their own. Pretty rare, I think, is going to be the person who can walk from the addictive mind that has, generally speaking, in my experience, generations of addictive uh, characteristics in it into that higher mind where the presence of love becomes the the guiding principle in one's life. And so it, it definitely takes a community. And one of the thoughts of, from what you just shared, uh, um, Stephen, is that perhaps, you know, in the past we've had Aramaic Fridays, we've had Parent-Teacher Mondays, maybe we could have Addiction Tuesdays or something, or Addiction Monday, and, and talk about uh, and bring in uh, different types of, uh, of recovery-type uh, support. That might be something to do. So maybe think about what day of the week might work that you might be available, and we'll survey and, and see who who else might be, you know, with Gail and such, and uh, pick a day that um, that becomes a conversation so that there's ongoing support for anybody who's specifically working around uh, an addiction program. I think that would be a cool idea. I think that what there's a need for that we can create and um, if this is what people are looking for, I think that you have the words, that Gail has the words, and we have some people who are interested. So happy to do that. I've got to leave. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Everybody for helping us change the world. All right. And Dr. We appreciate you. Blessings. As we are speaking, I am setting up a link to go specifically to these programs for this week. Fabulous. Take care. Awesome. She just doesn't quit. She just goes and goes and goes. She's like the Energizer Bunny. (laughs) I can't imagine life without Jeannie. That is for sure. I I I imagine life with Jeannie. I I imagine life with Jeannie for eternity. That's the only thing I imagine. Oh, thanks, you all. So go for it, Gail. What else be on your mind? Um, well, to address what Dr. Andraki ha- had mentioned um, to address about people coming and going out of the program, um, I have certainly have been a part of that uh, population. Um, like I mentioned before, I was introduced to the program at the age of 21. I most definitely qualified for Alcoholics Anonymous at the age of 17. <laughs> That's an interesting and, way and, to say it. <laughs> um, and so I um, bounced back and forth. I, I wasn't willing to let go of the alcohol. I I wanted the peace of mind that I saw that people had. I wanted um, what I felt in the room, but I wasn't willing to let go of the alcohol yet. Things hadn't gotten bad enough for me yet, and I thought that I was too young. To quit, I I didn't think that I was an alcoholic, and um, let me and, throw a thought so in there was, before you move to something else, if I may. You know, you there's may. a there's a, a a saying around a lot of times when people talk about someone who drinks, it's like, well, you know, they haven't hit their bottom yet; they have to hit the bottom. And I'd like to change the mind energy of that on the planet. And and you just kind of alluded to it by saying, well, you know, things hadn't gotten bad enough. As though the only way to start to go up is you've got to go all the way to the bottom. And I think that's a, a powerful belief in the minds of a lot of people around, people who do drugs and alcohol. And I'd like to offer that we can provide such powerful modeling for living life differently and a conversation of hope that people don't have to go any further. You know, if they're down, they don't have to go any further down to start to come back up. And and I see this in areas where there isn't addiction necessarily as the key motivator. You know, the purpose of pain is to make our ears grow, and certainly that's a motivator for a lot of people. They get into trauma in their marriages or, you know, their work life or what have you, and that trauma becomes a motivator to do their work. But I see a small percentage of people who realize that they don't have to get sick in order to be better or they don't have to be sick in order to get better. And and they do it through choice. So I'd like to, to join in mind energy with everybody who's listening in seeing and and starting to put out the thought that, 
you know, if someone's got a problem with alcohol or drugs, that wherever they're at, they can have modeled for them the possibility of starting to make different choices and doing it through choice rather than being motivated by pain. And I know I've seen people who've come to the why work and, you know, they've got a major problem in their lives and they get that problem resolved and then they disappear. And, and I've seen take 10 years for somebody to come back and they come back when they're in deep pain. I, I like to communicate to people that, you know, that's a tough way to do it. To, to have to go all the way to the bottom and have to start to jack your way back up is a lot of work. And wherever we are, we can make a choice. Hey, I'm well, I'm healthy. We actually, I worked for several years working to create a center in South Florida before I, uh, you know, put together the property at, uh, in Missouri for Heartland. And the center, the vision of the center was for people who are well, of course, this isn't very good English, and want to get weller. People who, through choice, choose to move forward. And so I just hold and put that out in the, uh, in the community that, that people can just, you know, turn their heads a little bit, just the slightest bit away from what's got their attention most of the time and see someone model choice and doing it differently and right then and there start to make a shift and move into doing their work easily and effectively instead of being motivated by pain. Agreed. There, yeah. there is cool. a, a bit of that conversation in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous as well and in the 12 and 12 when um, they talk about raising the bottom and also accepting people that are younger that haven't lost everything um, accepting the housewife that hasn't lost her marriage and has still has two cars in the garage. So that, right. that is taking place as well. I just wanted to awesome. acknowledge that. Um, cool. Uh, there is an organization within Alcoholics Anonymous. It's called the Young Born AA um, in Illinois. It's ISCAPA. It's called the Illinois State Conference of Young People and Alcoholics Anonymous. And mm-hmm. that develops a, uh, a a social, more of a social based on the younger people um, to be able to identify with each other as younger people that have the allergy to alcohol. And that was one of my main things. I thought I was too young. I, I envisioned the alcoholic to be somebody in their 40s that, you know, the brown paper bag and the, and the trench coat on the street and homeless. I was not aware that it was just about having the physical allergy to alcohol, not being able to control it once it was in the body, and that alcoholics take on different the there are different shapes and sizes and and sex sex orientation um, but you know we have what we have in common so is physical allergy. being homeless and using a paper bag that's the idea yeah absolutely one can, absolutely. One can qualify it could maybe be their first a right <laughs> yeah there you go and and the other thing too is um some of the things that we we talk about the elusive bottom as well you know what does bottom look like and a lot a lot of the things that are said around the tables is stop digging um that could be your bottom is to just, you know, throw down the shovel. Um, when you say stop th- digging, give us more, give us more context to that comment. Oh, like when we're, um, when we we're hitting, when we're digging, we're digging a hole, we're digging the hole that is our bottom. Um, uh, we stop digging. We don't have to make the hole any deeper that, that we're already in. That you're already okay. at bottom wherever you're at. Yeah, yeah, just stop digging. Um, another oh. a, another context or another part of that, um, I used to work in the prison system. I used to be a substance abuse counselor in a prison here in Illinois, and I brought in speakers that I knew, and this one gentleman who had been in prison, this poor guy, he's huge, huge guy, you know, six foot five, 300 pounds, um, had he, every time the doors would clang behind him, he would jump. And as oh. soon as we were able to leave, 
um, the building, he get uh, he got on his knees on the ground and kissed the ground that he was able to walk out. And one of the things that he presented during his talk was, my bottom is in between my ears. So it's it's mm. perception again. Right, right. So, and, and that meant a lot to me as well. I think another thing that is powerful for people to understand is that and and I was wondering if the quit digging tied in with this is we don't have to go into this deep dark search of the dirty terrible thing that happened to us at some time in the past and resolve that that's that's not a requirement to recovery or to healing what it does do is you know and I see the inventory the daily inventory which I see the reality management wake up sheet as a daily inventory is that it's an ongoing, I choose to live as the presence of love, and I walk through life. And rather than having to dig for and look for that terrible thing that happened, I live as love, and life will automatically draw someone to me that will show me my next piece of work. And if I lose the capacity to live as love, that someone has given me the gift to show me the invisible part of my mind that is up for healing next. And that's to me was very powerful as opposed to the old model of, you know, laying on the couch for 25 years looking for that terrible thing that you just live at the presence of love. And when you lose that capacity, then there's my next worksheet. There's my next piece of work. And the mind is so elusive. Yeah. It's so elusive and so tricky because the mind can say it can come up with a thousand excuses for why you're the problem, the mind that lives in denial, and feel fully justified in puking on you because look at the problem you have, as opposed to, gee, I notice what appears to me to be a problem that you have, and I have a deeper problem because I have this angry, sad, fearful response to what I perceive to be your problem. And to move out of denial is to say, I'm going to stop talking about your problem, stop thinking about you as the problem in my life, and I'm going to recognize that I have a problem. I'm going to talk about the work that I need to do. I can say, well, you know, you're just not very loving, therefore I'm out of here. Or I can stop talking about you as not being loving and I can say, you know, I perceived that what you just said wasn't very loving. And what I noticed is that brought up some really ugly feelings in me. It brought up some some grief, some terror. And what I want to support in healing my grief and terror Rather than why can't you be different so I don't have to look at what's in my in me, and that really ties in with responsibility communication. And we actually had someone who recently sent me a copy of a responsibility communication that they did out of the communication. Did you hear what I think I said? Workshop, and uh, and so we're actually going to review that communication on Monday. I've been speaking with her about it, and of course anonymously, but. Uh, we're going to talk about and, and use that as a, an example of the difference between how subtly the mind can come up with projection communication and communicate or at least convey to someone else it's about them rather than, ooh, this is my response. This is what is in me that prevents me from being the space of love. Because until one takes that level of responsibility the mind can so be so slippery at sliding it in that see you're not being loving and that's the problem. It's like, well, if you're not being loving and I am, then I'm the space of love. Hey, what's the problem? I stand as a space of love. You're not being loving. Hey, let me hold a space for you. But if I talk about how you're not being loving and I'm in rage about it, or I'm in my leaving stuff about it, then I'm the one with the problem. And so that shift that takes place from projection into responsibility is huge. 
and to realize that that's an important key in the whole process. And, of course, the inventory becomes part of that healing, that that aspect of healing. Is that good for you, Gail? Yeah. It, it does. It does as well. And awesome. I, um, I, getting back to Dr. Andraki's comments or what he's asking, I have seen a lot of people come and go in and out of the program. Um, I've seen a lot. Uh, we just, me and 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 a, a really good friend of mine in the program just went to somebody's house that had relapsed two week two weeks ago and. Um, thank God he's back. He He's just one of those people that really has this allergy and he can't drink fast enough to get rid of his pain. And um, he could have very well died over that relapse. And he was back um, doing stuff with us last night. So that was, that was amazing mm. um, that he came back. A lot of people, when they leave, they do not make it back. They die. Um, gone. And I've, yeah. seen a, I've seen a lot of people die in this disease uh, I've seen a revolving door and I am very fortunate in it and very grateful that I stuck this time and it sounds like you and your friend were part of the community that empowered him to make that shift back instead of continuing to go downhill and yes, that's I, I to me so. that's a, such an important part of the, the fellowship of you know, whatever community, whether it's a, a church community, whether it's an AA, an NA, an OA, wh- whatever it is, that community is such a key piece in the puzzle. And the the difference between people thinking they have to do on their own. One of the things we see a lot of times in intensives is people are there in the intensives and it's rolling along and the information is flowing and they're excited. And, oh, this is so great. And then one of those profound perceptual shifts is getting ready to take place, which means their pain is going to surface. And that's the moment when a lot of people, you know, it'll be an hour before class and they'll combine and say, Michael, uh, I, I'm not going to make it to class this afternoon. I'm, I'm sick or, you know, my stuff is up. So I'm going to just go and be in my room. And people forget the power of the space and, and 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 when I speak about the space, I'm talking about physics here, that literally when perception moves inside of me, an energy moves inside of me. If my perception of another is based in hostility or fear, and this is the the energy that a lot of people are, I think, repulsed by in the addiction world, is because the person who's so deeply locked into that hostility or fear is literally energetically spraying out that energy of hostility or fear. And the person who has a matching bag of garbage is the one who feels it most powerfully and, and wants to run away most quickly. The beauty of the rooms in this case, or an intensive or what have you is that, when one person has an issue and there are 30 other people in the room who have perhaps had the issue or don't have the issue, are there literally holding to perceptual love, then there's a literal high energy wave that leaves every one of those minds that's being sprayed on that person who's in their stuff. And it dissolves it like, you know, an immeasurable number of times faster than somebody would ever do it on their own. And so the the movement toward community, I think, is a big piece of relearning. The movement toward support, whereas most people, when they go into their pain, because their pain had to do with their power person, and their power person was not functioning as love and therefore was not a supportive community, they had to escape. And so the automatic decision system of the mind says, "Uh uh-oh, my pain's getting ready to go up. Somebody's going to attack me. I've got to escape. And it takes a a shift in the mind to be able to say, oh, my stuff's starting to come up. I need to move toward my support and recognize that there is really, truly support available in those environments is is another big piece of the healing process. You know, Dr. Androcki's talking about the support group there, that here are people who, who perhaps have never had a space in their lives to be really, truly held in the space of active love. You know, 
Dr. Tim support groups in uh, in Illinois that people come who, you know, I know that I've seen it so often. Someone who's like, but I, but I'm, I'm, but I'm so weak. I'm, I'm, but I'm so disgusting. Nobody could embrace me. And here's a whole room full of people just literally energetically spraying love on them. It's like a monumental piece of the puzzle. And of course, that's why uh, the one of the first things that uh, at least everybody I know who sponsored people in AA, when they get a call from somebody who wants to drink, it's like, okay, where's the closest meeting? When's the next meeting? Okay, get to a meeting. Get somewhere where you're literally going to be sprayed with the active presence of love and supported. And in particular, people who have been there, done that, having worked through it, can even be that much more powerful at holding that space. It's a, it's an awesome principle in in all healing. Agreed, Doctor Jim. You have any thoughts to share with us? Well, just agreement. Lots of agreement. You know, it's I've been in enough intensives to have witnessed the power of the unconscious to motivate people to leave at the precise time when the material in the group is going to be pushing their buttons or addressing what they need to hear. And, um, you know, I've actually been there when people have asked a question and you've started to answer the question and the person has gotten up and walked out of the room in the middle of the answer. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and I said, well, uh, and we try and stop them and call them back, and they say, what? And we try to explain to them, well, Michael is answering the very question you just asked, and then you got up and left. Well, no, I just have to use the bathroom. And I have had that happen to me, that I go so unconscious that I'm walking right into or away from that which will either make my life more tumultuous or heal it. And I can walk away from the healing or I can walk right into the tumult and have every good logical reason for why I'm doing it. And fortunately, because of having developed the community that you're talking about, most of the time these days when I'm going to do that, there's somebody around to help point it out to me. And that, again, is one of the the more lovely aspects of community for in my life that you know, by surrounding myself with people who are committed in doing this work. I, I reposted a, with a slight modifications a blog post from July. I reposted it again today. And it's just about gratitude for the people that attend these groups and gratitude for what that means. You know, a lot of people don't understand that what it means to attend a group like this is these are people who are just going to walk away from the television or the poker game or the bowling alley or the bar and choose to spend their time in something that can actually improve the quality of their life. And that's what I have tremendous gratitude for in being able to be present in these support groups. I think one of the spiritual shifts that needs to happen for people is to recognize the desirability of doing that and and that it takes change to do it. There was a post I put on Facebook a couple of weeks ago where this guy's standing up in front of the crowd, you know, and the, 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 the energy's flowing off of him. You know, he's obviously very passionately speaking, he's, and there's a big audience. He's, and how many people want change in their lives? And, you know, everybody's, yay, rah, rah, rah. And then the next one is, how many want to change? And everybody's headed down, nobody's hand is up. It's like... It takes change. You have to change the habits of the game. In fact, there's one line in the Lord's Prayer that can be translated as, you know, forgive us our habit mind. And to really be able to make that choice. Yeah, I could be going to the bar. I could go to a meeting. Hmm. I could be there for somebody supporting them. And one of the things that I really acknowledge about the people that uh, that I see doing the AA program in particular is how far they extend themselves in support of others who've been in the dilemma that they've been through and are, you know, still working through perhaps. But just just how deeply people extend themselves, how sincerely and how 
how powerfully they give of themselves for support. It's awesome. I know one man in South Florida who he's shared with me some of his uh, drug-pushing days and how he just, in his drugging days, would just do anything for a buck to anybody. It didn't matter. And he still sees himself 20 years later and for over 20 years now, he goes into the prison two or three times a week and to uh, run AA groups or NA groups, and that he's still seeing that as his uh, his makeup for the damage that he's done to people that he could never, you know, really connect with and clean it up with directly. That uh, he's, he shared with me more than once that that's one of the reasons he does it is because he sees the damage that he's done, and this is his his makeup for it and done from a space of care and concern, which is really pretty powerful, pretty sweet. So and, and that's my mindset yeah. as well. Uh, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of stuff in service and that's a part of my immense process as well. To is, you know, to, sure. to give, where I had been taking in my addiction and selfishness. Mm-hmm. So, agreed. Yeah. Cool. Well, what else? Um, one one other comment that I did want to make is that there are 250 registered 12-step groups that address specifics. Um, AA is for alcoholics. Um, NA is for Narcotics Anonymous. Um, that that is for people that has more have more of a slant on the drug um than than the alcohol of course they say that alcohol is a drug and they encourage people to abstain from alcohol as well there is what is called singleness of purpose and that's a part of the, the fifth tradition is to address that particular addiction and um I would like to say that what is refreshing about the Aramaic forgiveness process is that we don't have to be addicted to something to start to use these tools to delve into the unconscious mind that holds us that holds us back. And so that's what's refreshing about that. Um, I could qualify for at least ten different twelve-step groups and have, you know, work the slant on the steps in 10 different ways and have 10 different sponsors kind of like that Richard Smalley and, you know, the spoof that they did in Saturday night live. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's nice to be able to address everything in this process. Does that make sense? And I think that kind of touches on something that Dr. Androcki was trying to have be addressed as well. Yes, and one of the groups that I would love to see, and I've suggested to several people who've been in my work that have done 12-step work, that they go back home and start in Hostilities Anonymous. Because in my observation, virtually every time that somebody's going to fall off the wagon or they're on the edge of falling off the wagon of whatever their addiction is, the preceding energy is always hostility. It's like, that's the red flag Hostility, when the host and, and and as I see it, hostility is an internally produced drug that anesthetizes us. And when that anesthetic isn't strong enough, that's the signal that I'm getting ready to fall off the wagon. That's the signal that I'm getting ready to go and use something else. And I think it it can be a really uh, powerful insight to recognize that that's the precursor to drinking, to drugging, to overeating, to whatever it happens to be. And I would love to see uh, an Hostilities Anonymous started that gets really strong because, I mean, you, you, you see people in places where they never touch a drink. I remember being in a particular church one time with this guy who's very into his robes and very into his pious, um, religious attitudes and he's um, a pastor in a church and 
uh, he had invited me to go to his church, so I went, and you know there were some interesting trimmings and ceremony. It was pretty cool. And then I watched one day as his three-year-old son approached him at the altar during his service. And the rage that he pointed toward his three-year-old, who was just there with, hey, Dad, here I am, I want a hug. And, you know, I could just see this man's power person boiling over in him, turning to his son in rage, and you're not supposed to be here, and you're interrupting what I'm doing. Can't you see I'm being holy here? I was like, wow, make mine vanilla. This guy doesn't have a clue what Yeshua taught. And just just to to observe that hostility to me is and and, and what I I'd offer you know from my own perspective uh, is that the sooner that I can observe and own my hostility, the faster I can get to the root of what's behind it and dissolve it. If I let it go on and on and on, then it becomes more and more difficult to see through the cloud of that drug, just like any other drug. But in the early stages of just the small tinges, you know, there's a great line in the Course in Miracles that says, the smallest irritation covers the greatest rage. And if I can see myself with the smallest irritation and start to delve inside and do an inner inquiry, an inner inventory, that can be a way to short circuit an explosion of rage or, you know, the falling off the wagon into whatever other addictions are present. Absolutely. So I think that's an, it's like a, an awesome red flag to have and to work with, with as with any other addiction. And, you know, like all other addictions. And I, I love that example you brought to us yesterday, Tim, of the, the counselor who gets out the X-Lax and says, you oh, you think you can control alcohol? Here, take half this box. No, I'm not sure that I'd volunteer to take the other half of the box, but I'd often say, let's see how long you've got control. Let's see how long you've got control over this one. Uh, and it's the same with hostility. Let's see how long you've got control over it. And, and there isn't any controlling it. It's just insane. And, Stepping into the actual removal process of forgiveness is what makes for that major emotional rearrangement that uh, that Carl Jung was talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Powerful. Well, for me right well, now, we wanna... uh, I'm. Go ahead. I was just going to say that I'm just uh, experiencing a deep flood of appreciation for what you're doing for what Dr. Tim is doing, Dr. Andraki, from what we're all doing. That's just really powerful. And go ahead and lead us in the next direction that you had in mind for what you wanted to share. Um, gotcha. I was going to continue going down, going down the sheet. And I believe that we stopped at one um, a and one B and I was correlating love truth to our second step, which is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and that the rest of one uh, a and one B would be our step, our step three, which is we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And, and also saying that our step three is a, a commitment to finish the rest of the steps, um, to make a decision to finish the rest of the steps. And another way that I present step three, um, besides saying the, the three frogs sitting on a log and one makes a decision to, to jump off, um, there's right. still how many frogs are left. Um, there's three because he just made a decision. Um, I also address, uh, the, the the kind of decisions that we make in human relationships opposed to um, a relationship with God. And um, I point out uh, a lot of people, um, I was in a relationship and, and have a very good friendship with, with a man um, coming on, up on eight years. Um, he's my best friend. We're not necessarily together as a couple but um, right now, but people see us um, as, a good example of an AA couple 
And what I use as an example of making decisions is when I met him, the first time that I met him, laid eyes on him, um, was when I walked into a meeting and I saw him for the first time. And I had made a decision when I saw him um, in his military boots and his Harley Davidson T-shirt and his bandana um, (laughs) that I was going to talk to this man at the end of the meeting. That was the first decision that I had made or or goal. And after the meeting was over, um, I, I did talk to him. I found out that he was there um, because a mutual friend had sent him to that meeting to talk to me. And so I collected information, and when I collected information about him, I made another decision. And that decision was to call the mutual friend and collect more information. <laughs> And that's what I did. I called that friend and um, collected more information. Is he single? Is he gay? How far is he in the steps? How long has he been sober? Um, and and that's what I did when I called this friend. And the next decision after collecting that information was um, to have a double date with with this mutual friend and her boyfriend and after we had the double date, I collected more information. I got his phone number. And that, those are the kind of decisions that I make every day, um, you know, based on the, the God of my understanding. I collect more information and make another decision to continue to pursue that relationship. And so I'd like to say at this point in time that um, I, I um, all the steps are everyday steps, but step three is most definitely an everyday step. And... Um, and it can be a many time a day step to to make that decision, um, right? To continue to pursue that relationship. And I wanted to continue on by saying that uh, four in the um, the wake up sheet is I choose love, my newborn state, which stirs the love in everyone involved. Um, I would put that particular piece with step one and two, I mean, I'm sorry, step step two and three, um, that's starting to ease into that connection with the God of our understanding. I still don't have this perfect yet. Um, I, I did this perfectly when I listened to the um, MP3 of Lynn. Um, when, you, when you described smiling at the third eye chakra, and I was able to, I was able to achieve that perfect space of love, and it it, it is a beacon for me now because I haven't been able to achieve that mm. since. Um, but uh, it's a process, yeah. for sure. It is, and and I so appreciate that's what you said in, in in that recording as well. That this is a process that this takes practice. So. Those are my offerings there. Um, did cool. we have time to go farther at this point in time? Or? We're actually well, down we're to actually, 90 seconds. We're actually down to about a minute and a half, so we okay. probably okay. need to, to close it out from there. And and I do uh, have it on the website now as a separate link for these shows. Thank you. Cool. What an honor. Awesome. Thank, Thank you very you, much. Jean. Delighted. That's fabulous. And closing out with that reference to step four in the worksheet where before doing the core of the forgiveness process, what I do is I connect to this active presence of love. And, you know, think back to holding a newborn child and you know exactly what that active presence is. We're designed to experience life and feel from that rather than than from the content of this multi-generational database called the body-mind unit with all its drama and trauma and insanity. And that's part of that spiritual rearrangement that takes place when you shift from living out of the feelings based in the errant thoughts and carbon-based memory to moving into living out of that space of the active presence of love. That's what we're here to support every mind, heart, and being on the planet doing. Imagine the day when seven and a half billion people wake up knowing that they are the active presence of love and every thought and every feeling and every energy that exudes from them is that love. 
What a game. Thanks for being with us. Blessings.